all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about I'm really grateful for decided to choose Calvary Chapel Eagle and uh, be with us this morning. So if you would join us today in Hebrews, we're going through the book of Hebrews, so open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. And today's message is called, What is Man? Because that's right a phrase right out of the text today. And uh, I want to remind you, each time we gather to look at the book of Hebrews, I want to remind you who the audience is and why the author is writing because that makes all the difference in the world of understanding the text before you. The book of Hebrews is written primarily to Jewish believers who were under great persecution because they've abandoned all of their Jewish traditions or most many Jewish traditions and practices and sacrifices and they've accepted Jesus who's the fulfillment of all of the Jewish Torah and all the sacrifices. Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. And so um, because they've embraced Christ and for the most part left behind their Jewish roots, they're being persecuted. And it's tough because they're being tempted to go back. Because when you're under pressure and people are bothering you or you can't get a job, you know, it's like you, you know some people in cults. They leave that cult. Their, their boss was that cult. Their, their co-workers were in that cult. And now they, they can't get a job anymore. You know, that's how it was for the Jews as well. And so they're tempted to go back to their old ways, to go back to their old religion. Have you ever been tempted to go back? Have you ever been tempted to, you know what? This Christian walk is just too hard. I remember before I was a Christian, I used to be able to do this and that, and now now all the pressure, and you're tempted to go back. So even though the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, warning them not to go back to the Jewish law, but to stay with Christ, oh, it relates to all of us. There's something there for all of us who are tempted to go back. And now... Let me read to you a little excerpt from MacArthur, how he describes the book of Hebrews. I I particularly like this explanation. He says, the book of Hebrews is set aside for the very purpose of exalting Jesus Christ. Particularly above everything related to Judaism prior to the coming of Christ. Whether it is angels who brought the law, whether it's Moses who brought it down from the mountain, whether it's Aaron who was the priest, whether it's the prophets, whether it's Melchizedek, who, who a very unique priest, whether it, whatever it is, whoever it is, Jesus Christ is superior. That's the book of Hebrews. 
The author is writing to Hebrews, showing them that they must recognize that Jesus Christ is superior to everything connected to the Old Covenant. So don't go back. And that it's totally absurd, it's, it's a contradiction in terms, to accept the Old Covenant and yet reject Jesus Christ, who fulfills everything in the Old Covenant. You see? So, now, chapter 1, we've already seen the deity of Christ clearly portrayed for us, and we've seen that he was the creator of all things. We've seen that God tells his angels to worship Jesus, and unless he was God, that would be heresy, that would be a revolt in heaven. But Jesus is God. So we've looked at that. Today's text actually backs up and shows us more of a big picture of, of how and why Jesus humbled himself to become lower than the angels for our sake. Father, we bow before you and we just admit our need for you. I pray for these dear people here this morning and those who are listening online that you would help us to draw near in our understanding of truth and our, in our response to the gospel, that we'd not just understand it, but we'd surrender to your truth, that you would, as the song said today, do whatever you want to, that we'd surrender to you, and you have your way in our life. That's our prayer, Lord, that we wouldn't just be students of a philosophy, but that we'd be followers of our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start right out with your first fill-in. And by the way, we use these for our small groups. And uh, the good few, if you don't have a small group, I encourage you to get into one. Or you can even use these at home with your family devotionals. But I have a proposition. As I was pondering today's text, as I was thinking about the things taught in it, I actually got a bigger picture that's not necessarily explained in the text, but I just want to share it with you, okay? And here it is in your fill-in. God's plan for man was not frustrated or foiled. The words frustrated and foiled in the garden. The fall of man was no surprise to our omnipotent God. Things are going exactly as planned. All right, I hope you got all that. I, I talked a little fast there. Um, let me say it again. God's plan for man was not frustrated or foiled in the garden. The fall of man was no surprise to our omnipotent God. Things are going exactly as planned. I think that's important to understand that because there was a time in my life where I thought, well, see, God's original plan was for Adam and Eve in the garden to rule over the earth and everything to be wonderful. And, and they, they, they ruined God's whole plan by sinning. And then God had to come up with, with a way to save them. And so he had to send Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus isn't God's plan B. This was God's plan all along. You, you know, often I have to rethink things that I used to believe as a new Christian and realize God's bigger than I thought. He's bigger than that, especially in midweek. We're studying the universe. We're studying everything from the microscope to the telescope and seeing all that God has done and can do. And I'm always stretched to realize God's much bigger than I think. Here's the thing. That yes, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know, they didn't ruin God's plan. God knew it was going to happen. God didn't have to go, oh, I have to come up with a remedy now. Oh, I've got to come up with a plan B. God's plan is for man and woman to rule over this earth. But here's the thing. Man had to learn a lesson first. Humans had to realize we are incapable of ruling without God's 
rule over us. And so they fell to learn a hard, hard lesson. Because if, if they would have, no matter what would have happened, even if Satan didn't come in the form of a serpent, they would have blown it. Because they needed to learn this hard lesson that we're really not capable of ruling unless we're submitted to the Lord God, unless we're being guided and assisted by His Holy Spirit. And even when God's plan is ultimately fulfilled in the, in the world to come, when we are set up, as those of you who have studied eschatology, we'll be kings and priests and we'll all rule and reign with Christ. We'll rule and reign with Christ under Christ's authority, and even as you, with the small groups are going to look at, I'm giving a bunch of scriptures about this, that not only that, but Christ models this for us, in that though he is God, he's God the Son, he rules over, he rules over us under the authority of God the Father, and we will rule over the earth in the millennial kingdom, and in the future world to come, under his authority. There is a divine, godly authority structure in life and in the Godhead. And so I, I believe, now I've come to believe that the, what happened in the garden wasn't oops. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't see this coming. Now what are we going to do? Slap your forehead. It, it was to teach us our need and our dependence upon the Lord. So let's start with verse 5 here. We're only going to cover a couple of verses like we normally move slow. Some, every now and then I surprise you. And move fast, but verse 5 of Hebrews 2, hopefully you all found it by now. We've been talking about the angels. We've been talking about the angels in chapter 1 and in, even in chapter 2 in the beginning. And now the author says, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subject to angels. Well, here's your next fill in in case you missed this. God's plan for the world to come is for humans to rule over the earth. Humans! Not angels, okay? We like to look at angels as exalted beings, and they are. Uh, even the Jews highly revered angels as the next closest thing to God, and that may be true, but there's coming a day when we rule, and, and the angels are merely servants of God. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Genesis, when God first uh, established his creation order, he never gave the angels the kind of dominion that he gave over, he gave Adam and Eve to have dominion. Read Genesis chapter 1, that they had dominion over the whole earth. Angels don't have the dominion now, and they won't have it in the future. And as much as the Jewish people revered angels, and they recognized angels as the highest authorities right under God, it's not God's plan for them to rule over us. And in the future, we're going to lay it now. So here's where the author is going in verses 4 through 6 in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, he's actually quoting Psalm 8. So I'm going to take you to Psalm 8. We're going to take a look at that. But he's quoting it to demonstrate that the eventual dominion over the earth has been given to man, not angels. So let me just read it to you right from Psalm 8. And by the way, I just, every now and then I love to read from a modern translation so it flows. New Living Translation, Psalm 8, verse 4 through 6. What are mere mortals? that you should think about them. Human beings, that you should care about them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. This is mankind. This is human beings, okay? And so what the author is in, in Psalm 4 as well as in Hebrews 2 is saying, you know, man is really insignificant, yet God is mindful of him. 
Man is really unimportant in the big scheme of things, and yet God has placed great importance upon him, and he takes care of him. And, and man is inferior in, in many respects to angels, and yet God has given mankind authority over all, dominion. It's funny, as I was studying this, I'm listening to the different pastors, how they cover this, and I'm realizing some people are getting real sensitive and careful how they say this, mankind. Sorry, ladies. You know what I mean? Boy, the world we live in today, you've got to be careful. Well, the thing, we're talking about human beings, okay? And so men and women are included in this. I'm not going to get all freaked out over it, and you shouldn't either, okay? Mankind, human beings. And uh, so it goes on in verse 6. The first part of verse 6 says, But one testified in a certain place, saying, Now, here's the author who seems to be really well-versed in the Old Testament to reach out to the Jews. He... Um, is quoting probably a hundred different quotations in the whole book from the Old Testament. And yet he'll go, it's written somewhere. Someone once said. Now I want you to know, it's not that he didn't know. Um, it's kind of like if I were to tongue-in-cheek say to you, doesn't it say somewhere, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Now you all would chuckle and know, yeah, we know where that is. It's John 3.16. That's what the author is doing Every, you know, the, the reader here is a Jewish believer. They know the Bible, and they know Psalm 8. It's a famous Psalm of David. So it's not like they didn't know that. But he says, it's, it one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? Now, another thing I've got to clarify is this phrase, son of man. Because son of man, I've, I've told you many times, uh, Jesus called himself the son of man, and it was from Daniel chapter 7, it was a powerful picture of, of, of uh, the Messiah. But back in the day of the Psalms, every time the phrase son of man was used, it was just talking about the offspring of human beings. The, just children of, of men, okay? The son of man. And so he's not speaking of Jesus here. As a matter of fact, this whole psalm, Psalm 4, excuse me, Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2 is speaking of man. So don't let it get confusing because eventually the author is going to take what speaks of man and flip it to apply it to Jesus. So it get, could get a little confusing here. And as I was studying this, I'm, I'm re realizing that... Um, the phrase son of man really quite often just meant son of man until the book of Ezekiel. Well, actually, not Ezekiel. Ezekiel, by the way, I, I remember when I read through Ezekiel, over and over again, God calls Ezekiel son of man. Listen, O son of man. Do you understand, O son of man? Hear me, O son of man. And that's how God, over and over again, you do it. I, I should have done a search how many times, <clears throat> many times in Ezekiel. So as uh, back to the son of man phrase. In Daniel, everything changed. In Daniel, Son of Man, the whole meaning of it from Daniel on, changed to be referring to the Messiah. And you look at, read Daniel chapter 7, and one appears before the Ancient of Days called the Son of Man, and he is given a kingdom that will never end, and he'll rule and reign forever, and that's pretty powerful. That's, that's not just human beings, though we will rule and reign with Christ. It's a picture of the Messiah. So it's interesting. The more you study the, your, your Bible, the more you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and connecting the dots that before Daniel, Son of Man just meant Son of Man. At Daniel on, it actually was referring to 
the Messiah. So um, then in verse 7, he goes on to say, You have made him, speaking of the Son of Man, regular men and women like you and I, you've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. So, by the way, uh, made him a little bit lower than the angels. This actually in the Greek, it's, it was hard for some of the Bibles to be translated because it, it could mean a little lower in rank, inferior in rank, or it could mean a little, um, for a time, a little lower. And so some of your Bibles actually portray that, like in the, in the New American Standard, I like the way it's worded here. New American Standard in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7, it says, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. Okay, so I think both is true. I think when we're talking about human beings, we've been made a little less in rank for a short time because there's a promotion, there's a graduation day coming. Okay, I believe both can be true. Uh, again, I want to remind you that this quote is referring to mankind, yet by the time we get to verse 9, the author flips it and points to Jesus. Why? Because I really believe um, the author is trying to show us the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let me just look at verse 9 for a moment. We'll back up again. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that that same phrase in, in Psalm 8? Now it's applied to Jesus Christ. So there's, there's a purpose behind this because in chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews brilliantly demonstrates through Old Testament scriptures the deity of Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 2, the author is trying to show not only he's superior over angels, but he's clearly showing us the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now this is something I want you to get because um, some people go one extreme or the other, that Jesus was just a man, or he was God Almighty and not human at all. So here's your next fill-in to help you understand that, okay? It's biblically wrong to think of Jesus as merely God or merely man, okay? Merely God or merely man. It's wrong to think of him as half God and half man or any percentage of the split, okay? Uh, it's wrong to think of him as man on the outside but God on the inside, right? People have got all these weird views of, of Jesus, the Bible teaches Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that the human nature was added to his divine nature. And both natures existed in one person, Jesus Christ. Now this could sound real mind-boggling because you really don't know anybody like that, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like, how do you describe this? There's only one person in all the universe that, that fits this. As a matter of fact, in theology, they call this the hyperstatic union. It's, it's the combination of God and man to where he's fully God and fully man. And you know, as a matter of fact, interesting that the first heresy in the early church wasn't that Jesus is God. That uh, isn't God, excuse me. Um, many of the, the cults today they think that Jesus isn't God. That's the heresy we deal with. He wasn't really God. He was just a man, or he was an angel, or he was something else, okay? But the first heresy in the early church was that Jesus wasn't human. Isn't that interesting? They thought he was all God, but not human. 
and but healing seemed human. As a matter of fact, it's, if you if you study, especially if you're studying in First John, it, he dealt with what's called the Gnostic heresy quite often, and uh, this was a, a section of Gnosticism called Docetism, which which actually it comes from a Greek word that means to seem. Jesus just seemed to be human. That's what the Gnostics taught, you know. He just seemed to be eating, but he was really immaterial. He was a ghost, you know. He seemed to be walking on the beach, but he left no footprints. He, he wasn't really there. It's Gnosticism, if you study Gnosticism. At all. As a matter of fact, that's what the Apostle John wrote about a lot when he wrote First John and Second John, that he was refuting the, the heresy of Gnosticism that Jesus isn't human. So you got to get both. You got to understand the deity of Christ, but you got to understand the humanity of Christ. Okay, now move on. Verse seven goes on to say, "Let me start at the beginning of verse seven. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands." Again, this is talking about human beings, and you put all things in subject under his feet. But in that you put all things in subjection under him, you left nothing that is not put under him. So here the writer's emphasizing the point that God put all things under humans' domain. Not some things, but all things under our subjection. Now, why is the world not seem to be subjected to us? Seems to be out of control, doesn't it? Wait a minute, you put all things we have dominion over all things. I could barely get my dog to sit when I tell him to sit, let alone tell the bird to come over here or the, the, the wildlife. I have no control. The world is out of control right now. Why? Well, because we currently live in a fallen world. We have had a little setback in the garden when sin entered the world, and we no longer have dominion. It's been out of control. You know who has dominion? The devil has dominion. When, when Adam sold out to the devil, believed him rather than God, and now the whole world is under control of Satan. That's why it's in such a mess. That's why it's so messed up, okay? So, in verse 8b, we see man's frustration. Matter of fact, that's your next film. We see man's frustration. It's not God's frustration. He's not frustrated. This is all part of his plan. He knew it all along, and it's purposeful. Look at verse 8, the, the last part. It says, uh, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. That's our frustration, right? Try to get your dog to come when you want him to come to you, and he runs, right? You ever have that? I mean, I, I, can, I know how to get my canary to sing. I just play a uh, we play Sonny and Cher. I got you, babe. The canary sings every time. So some things work, some things don't. But we're out of control. We don't have control over the world. It's man's frustration we're dealing with, not God's. God is not frustrated. God is not out of control. The big picture is it's all part of his plan to teach us how much we need him. We can't even, even innocent Adam and Eve in the garden couldn't rule for very long without blowing it, without God being over them. So by all appearances, the promise of Psalm 8 that we just read seems unfulfilled, seems like a failure. We don't see all things subjected to mankind. We don't see the, what we do see is a world out of control given over to Satan. 
That's why, you know, anybody ever ask you, well, if God's a loving God, why do we see evil in the world? Because mankind gave dominion over to the devil, and he's running things right now until the day when Jesus rules and reigns forever, and that day is coming soon, okay? Now, a little picture of this, in case you miss it, is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to read it from two different translations to get a nice rounded picture. The New Living Translation puts it like this, Ephesians 2, 2. You used to live in sin, speaking to the Christians, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. That's who the devil is. He's the commander. He's in charge. He's running things behind the scenes. He's the man behind the curtain in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So two things worded here. One is the devil's running the natural world. But number two is those who are not submitting to God, they're naturally under control of the devil. Is that why so-and-so lives the way they do? (laughs) Don't... Don't point, no names. But, but that's what the scriptures say. Now, let me read that same verse to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I love it. I love the ver- variety here. Uh, Ephesians 2.2, Holman Christian Standard. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. So the devil is exercising authority over everything below heaven, all of us. And that's why the world is in a mess. The spirit now working in the disobedient. That's another way of saying it, okay? Now, here's your next fill-in. Currently, we're suffering a temporary setback due to the sin that will ultimately work out for good. You know, I always quote Romans 8, 28. I always say we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, to those who are the call of the corner of his purpose. I really believe that. But I believe even, even the fall of man, even what happened in the garden, Romans 8, 28, God knew it was happening, he planned for it, and he's going to redeem it. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 28, will, God will fully redeem even the fall of man. Someday, we will rise above the status of Adam. That's something that took me a couple of years as a Christian to realize this, because I thought when you get saved, you get restored back to the innocence of the garden. When you get saved, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, they were tainted by sin, we get saved, now we get to get back to where Adam and Eve was. No, we get above Adam and Eve. So here's your feeling, though, I'm still doing it. Adam and Eve were merely innocent humans. They were without sin, but they were innocent humans. Born-again Christians were new creatures filled with God's Holy Spirit and partakers of the divine nature. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one 
one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.